Hi, and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 42, where we ask, could you survive without an income? That's coming up in moments, but also in our previous episodes, we've covered mortgages, insurances, pensions, investments, help to buy schemes, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. And last week, we looked in depth at annuities, where amongst other things, we discovered the word annuities is exceptionally difficult to say on multiple occasions. Just take our word for it. Uh, We can drill down and, and look at pretty much anything forensically, but if you have a general financial query, First place to look is probably our back catalogue. Search the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find us there. An enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. Whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And in that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, the star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, it's an interesting one, this, because I, I know you're taking it. And as soon as you say it, it makes instant sense. So let's do it. When I say, could you survive without an income? How do you get into that topic, Phil? I think, like, for, for me, many people, will, they'll protect their home. They'll protect their mobile phone. I mean, people will take out different pet insurance and various other policies, but how many consider insuring the one thing that underpins all of that? So this week, I thought it'd be good to to look at, could you survive without an income? So that's kind of why I I thought it'd be a good subject for us to cover this week. And you see straight away there, and you just made an entire slam dunk for this week's subject because you've made it sound like, well, why wouldn't you have income protection? So let's start with a, a brief explanation of what income protection is, please. Income protection is really just something that's there to protect you should you be off work for for any reason, whether that be an accident or or sickness. So that's what I would kind of say income protection is. I mean, I I was looking at some statistics. There's an insurer called Aegon looking at the stats for them yesterday. And according to them, it it was really worrying because it says that more than a third, 36% of people in the UK have no emergency savings at all. It then went on to say that 29% have less than a month's a month worth of savings or a month worth of income saved to, to cover it should they be off for a month. So if you look at that, that's puts at, I think, 65% in total. So like two-thirds of people yeah. have got less than one month's wages there should any emergency comes up. And, and it's funny, this, this kind of dovetails on a wee bit. We, we did a show few weeks back about emergency funds and it's amazing how many people don't have emergency funds and then they they also went on to say that those with emergency savings only generally have enough to live without any income for just over four months so I I mean it just some some of those stats are just quite incredible but to me it, it highlights just important how important it is for people to protect their income. I mean, the the thing by taking out this sort of policies is it it can improve your financial well-being because it gives you confidence in your financial decisions, but it also helps you sleep better at night, knowing that if anything happens, you've got some sort of protection there. Yeah, I've heard that statistic before about how, you know, the majority of people are are sort of four weeks away from peril. You know, if if there was no income at all, They're about four weeks away from from really being in dire financial straits, and I, I don't suppose uh, we're we're that far apart. And, and although I said you made it sound like the most straightforward thing in the world that you should have, 
take up of it is still quite low compared to things like critical illness cover, isn't it? Why is that? It is. I mean, critical illness cover seems to be a lot more popular than income protection. I I think income protection is one of the most undersold products in the financial world. And I was having a look at statistics and it was saying that in the UK, critical illness policies outsell income protection policies by around five to one. Now, to put that into numbers, that means every year there's about half a million critical illness policies taken out compared to only about 100,000 income protection policies. So it's quite, quite incredible. Is it, do you think it's because of the, the, the sort of potential numbers behind a payout? So, you know, if you, if you have your income protection cover, really that's set up to, to sort of take you over, you know, a month to month basis and, and keep you going. Whereas if it's, if it's a critical illness, then the chances of a, a huge payout become in, increasingly uh, bigger, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's driven by the advisors that, that get people to take out these policies. I, I don't know. I mean, I when I was advising, I used to always give people all the options. I'd say, look, here's a quote for life insurance, a quote for critical illness cover, quote for income protection. I mean, for, for some people, they, they don't maybe need much income protection if you've got really good sick pay at your work. So if, if you work for, say, the NHS or a council, a, a lot of people often overestimate what sick pay they get. So one, one thing I would always say to people is, look, go and check exactly what you get and how long your employer will pay you if you are off sick, because that, that's a real important factor in all of this as well. Just going back to the income protection and, and critical illness there, Phil, we, we've kind of, I don't know, pitched it as a, it's a one or the other kind of scenario. Is it worthwhile taking out both? It is. I mean, they, they can complement each other. What, what critical illness covers, it pays out more if you have something serious. So the main things they tend to pay out on is like cancer, heart attacks, stroke. What you'll tend to find with income protection policies is if, if you had some of these things and you were off for a long period, it could be paying out. But what you'll find, a lot the, the biggest ones for, for income protection policies is things like backache, being off with stress. They're the sort of things that wouldn't be covered under a critical illness policy. Even COVID over the last year is another thing that's came up quite a bit yeah. as well. But um, I'm sure that, that's something we'll be able to touch on as we go through this episode as well. Yeah, well, it, it might be worth noting what sort of things income protection does cover then. Yeah, I mean, I, I was having a look. They, they, there's an income protection specialist called Exeter Friendly, now, in 2020, they paid out over £10 million in income protection claims. They, they are sort of specialists in, in the income protection world. Now, they're paying that out to their members when they couldn't work due to illness or injury. They, they paid out 91% of all claims. What? Their average income protection claim lasts for 53 weeks, according to them. So people, on average, are getting paid out an income for up to a year, a year yeah. um, or just over a year. The, their longest claim, it, they, they were saying to me, has been paid, it's been paid to someone since 1997. So I mean, that one, whoever that is, they, they're obviously off long-term, maybe yeah. somebody that'll never go back to work. But look, looking at the claims that they paid out last year, the, this, the reason for going through this is it shows you the sort of things that income protection yeah. covers. But last year, 31.5% of their claims were COVID-related. So that, that's something that wouldn't have been in the past. 
typically it's usually muscular musculoskeletal conditions. That's a tongue tire. That's worse than a new. <laughs> it's worse than new yeah. <laughs> so basically, like muscle problems, back problems, accidents, injuries, mental health conditions, they accounted for a further forty percent of their claims. So traditionally, that's the sort of things that that people will claim quite a lot on on these types of policies. Yeah, so they paid out on a, on a fair whack, over 90% of all claims. What was the reason for the claims that they didn't pay out on? The, the most common reason why they don't pay out a claim is due to what's called misrepresentation. So what that is, is where when somebody at the point of applying for one of these products, they, they answer the questions, usually things like medical questions, that, that sort of thing. At the point of application, it's usually because people have put things down there that maybe weren't correct. So so that's why there is some claims that they, they haven't paid out on over the last year or so. How long do you need to wait for a claim to be paid out, Phil? It depends on what's called the deferred period. So when you take a policy out, what some policies will do is they'll pay out on the first day that you're off. Um, whereas other policies, you maybe got to be off 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. You could even have a deferred period of 120 days or 365 days. So again, going back to maybe somebody that, that's got six months full pay, six months half pay, they may say, right, I'll take out income protection, but I want a deferred period of 365 days. So it wouldn't pay out for up to a year. Now, the longer your deferred period, usually the cheaper your premiums are going to be. Again, going back to the, the Exeter's claims that were paid to their members, out of those that chose, I, I think a lot of theirs are, are policies that pay out from day one waiting period. And, and looking at their statistics, just over half of their claims were paid out at day one. So that's where somebody takes out a policy and as soon as they're off, it, it pays out. Now, I, I was speaking, we, we've got, a, at my work, we've got a protection specialist and I, I was saying to him, how has COVID impacted things? Now, the old policies will cover it. But anybody taking out a new income protection policy, what a lot of the insurers <laughs> are doing at the minute yeah. is they, they'll put a period, uh, they, they'll usually have a minimum of 30 days deferred period. And so a lot of people, if they're off with COVID, might be less than that yeah. kind of time. But then you'll have some that that's more. But again, some insurers are putting restrictions on that. So that, that's why it's good to speak to a, a kind of protection specialist just to, to sort of see all the, the ins and outs. But one good thing in this sort of digital age is companies can pay out the claims an awful lot quicker as well, which is a, another good point. Yeah. I, I, you said that, you know, some of them pay out from, from day one, but I, the, the thing that I would imagine is if, you, if you're off for a day or the first day that you're off anyway, unless you know exactly what it is that you're being diagnosed with and that it's going to be long-term. You're not going to access that straight off, are you? But what a lot of companies will do is they'll, they'll cover you from day one, but quite a lot of the companies, you've got to be off 30 days and then it right. back dates to day yeah. one. So a lot of them will do that as well. Okay, so why, why should someone then consider income protection, Phil? I, I would say quite simply, it gives you peace of mind and, and long-term financial reassurance. That That's the main thing. It kind of helps you sleep at night that... You don't have to, to worry that if you are off sick for or have an accident, you know you've got something coming in there. So really, peace of mind is the, the main thing. See, I remember a financial advisor being almost insistent with me when I first started out as a, as a freelancer or a self-employed broadcaster uh, that income protection was something that I couldn't pass up. Is income protection more important for someone who's, who's self-employed? I would say it's important for so many people. Self-employed are just one of those groups, but 
yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if you're self-employed, if you're off, there's a good chance you might not have any income coming in. So, yeah, it, it probably is more important for someone self-employed. But then you've got a lot of employed people. Like I said earlier, a lot of people think that they've got an awful lot better sick pay and work benefits than what they actually have. So if someone is employed, I definitely encourage them to, to look into that. But when you see the state benefits, if you're off sick, it, it's really poor. So um, self-employed people, it is such an important thing for them. Well, I seem to remember, we've touched on this briefly. Uh, I seem to remember there was a qualifying period on my sort of income protection policy that I had to be off for a certain number of days before it would kick into place. Now, I think it was a month. Is that is that the sort of common period? Yeah, you get, I mean, that, that's it. You get different types of policies. You, you've got income protection plans, but you also get accident sickness plans. You used to get the old ASU policies. That was the ones that a lot of people put in complaints against. But do you know what? A lot of people who had these ASU policies, accident sickness and unemployment, for a lot of people, it was a good thing to have. I mean, yeah. there were some people that had them that didn't maybe need them. And that that's where all the mis-selling came in but you'll tend to find on a lot of these accident sickness plans that they'll pay out once you've been off for 30 days and then like I said earlier a lot of them will back date to the the first day that you're off another thing with insurers they'll tend to have limits as to how much you can actually cover now the majority of income protection providers will let you cover up to about 60 percent of your income now the reason that they do that is they don't want to be paying out. I mean, there's one provider I know that will do up to 75% of your income. Now, if you're then off sick, they still need to pay less in total than what you would be getting should you be working because you you could end up with a situation where somebody, if they were getting, let's say, 75% of their income, by the time they pay their tax and national insurance, they're really not any worse off than if they were working. So for the insurers to try and encourage people to go back to work, that's why a lot of them will impose limits as to how much you can actually take out as well. How much does uh, income protection cost on average, Phil? Oh, it's a tough one to, to answer <laughs> because it, it really it depends on a lot of factors. What insurers will look at is your age. They'll look at your medical history. They'll look at things like, are you a smoker or non-smoker? They will also look at the type of job that you do. So somebody working as a labourer, there's going to be more risk of them being off work than somebody who's maybe an office worker. So, so that sort of thing is, is an important factor as well. Sometimes it's worth looking at different types of income protection cover as well. You get policies, so some insurers, what they'll do is they, they'll let, allow you to take out a policy that pays out for up to two years if you're off. And that type of policies are an awful lot cheaper than the ones that'll keep paying out yeah. a, an income right up until you retire. So let, let's say I was off work and never went back to work you might get a policy that could pay out for 20 odd years. Whereas if I was to take out, they, they sometimes call it budget income protection. Some policies, if you're off, it'll only pay out for up to two years. But as you saw, the, the average claim, the Exeter was 53 weeks. So in a lot of cases, that would provide adequate cover for, for a lot of people. But then you do get some people that are off really long term. So it's good to weigh up all the different options, but cost is such an important thing because people need to be able to, to afford the policies they're taking out. Um, when you're talking about sort of medical conditions uh, and pre-existing medical conditions, one, do they cover that? And is, is this the sort of thing where doctors get involved, where you, you, you get sent along and you, you have to you know go through a medical or, or ask, Usually, answer questions? 
Yeah, usually when you're applying, you, you'll need to answer various medical questions. You do get some of those accident sickness policies, don't ask many medical questions, but what you probably find with that type of policy is that they'll exclude any pre-existing medical conditions. On, on some income protection policies, though, it depends what that condition is. So some insurers will make exclusions for certain things, whereas others might cover you for, for things. So it really depends what it is. And that, that's where a protection specialist can have a look and try and help you with, with all of that sort of thing as well. Uh, and just one, one thing crossed my mind here as well, Phil. Do they take sort of family medical history into consideration for that sort of thing as well? They will. They, they'll tend to ask about sort of parents, they, they tend to go in. Like I, I remember years ago asking clients about stuff and it's, oh, my granddad had this or grandparent had that. <laughs> but they, they tend to just be the closest family members. That they, they what, what the insurers are looking for is like hereditary things. Yeah. So if they think, right, there's a history of this in your family, is it likely that you're going to maybe be off with that? And if that was the case, they may make an exclusion for it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll, they'll rate the premium. And what that means is they'll put that up. They'll still give you cover for whatever it is, but they'll maybe make the premiums a wee bit higher. Okay. So what are the key takeaways from this one then, Phil? For me, I, I would say like if, if you've got debts, such as a mortgage, protection, protecting it is, is very important. It's also really important if you've got children or a, a family to support. For, for me, I would always say some cover is better than none. I know money can be tight for, for many. However, income protection is something that people really should be, be considering and, and looking at. Going back to the Exeter-friendly report from, from their claims for, for last year, I mean, it, it just provided valuable insights as to why people need to bring income protection to the fore. And when it comes to insurance advice, I really believe it's time to put income first. Now, each week uh, so far as we've covered various topics, Phil's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by the subjects we've been discussing. So, Phil, today we're talking about income protection. What do you have on that? I mean, in income protection, it's, it's so important. I mean, for me, I remember the very first income protection policy I took out was when I bought my first flat. So me and my partner at the time bought it. We took out, we, we just went with the recommendation to take everything out. So we took out life insurance critical illness cover, income protection was one of the things in there as well. And at that time, Jeepers, I was working as a customer advisor for the Skipton Building Society, earning, I think, nine and a half grand a year. And I was paying out about £120 a month for all these policies. And I, by the time I included my home insurance, it was up to about 140 or something like that. And I couldn't afford it. And, and you know, like, what, what I ended up doing was cancelling. Uh, probably, I think it was the whole lot that I cancelled. And that was probably the worst thing to do because... What I should have been doing is still having some cover and saying, right, okay, at that time, I couldn't afford to pay out all that money for, for the policies. So so for me, I, I used to, when I was advising people, I'd always be saying, right, look, here's a few different options. This is maybe what would be ideal, but here's some that might be more tailored to your budget. And and, and again, I, I would say it's an important thing just to have some cover rather than than nothing at all. But that, that was my own experience with income protection the first time around was that, at the time, I just couldn't afford to, yeah. to cover everything, but having something is better than nothing. And Phil, we all do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various people you admire, and you do love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for this episode on income protection? I do. The quote of the week this week is from the lovely Myla Kunis. Always have a backup plan. 
Well said, Mila. Now, uh, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. So if you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you'd prefer it that way. Let's get on to this week's. The contact details to get in touch are coming up. I'll give it to you after these. Now, our first question is from Alison in Brotty Ferry. Uh, and she asks, my income is made up of mainly benefits and child maintenance. Will mortgage lenders consider me for a mortgage based on this and my part-time employment income? Different lenders will accept different things, but some will take maintenance payments into account. Now, lenders will usually require some sort of proof of this. So I have had it in the past where maybe some lenders will want to see court orders in place. Others will be happy with letters from the child maintenance service. Some lenders will ask for bank statements just to show the, the payments going in. So, so you will find some lenders will accept it, but they, they will need to see the, the proof of that being paid. Some of them will also want to see that being paid over like several months rather than just a one-off payment going in. Some, some lenders will take into account things like universal credits, child benefit if that's been paid, and a lot will take into account state disability benefits as well. Like I say, it, it varies quite a bit from lender to lender, so I would recommend speaking to a whole market mortgage broker because they would know which lenders would take whatever things it is that she does have. Okay. Uh, next is Alex who says, I keep getting unsolicited phone calls about my pension. Is there a way I can stop these? Well, you cut yourself off, I suppose, Phil. <laughs> Seems a bit extreme. I know. But one thing you can do, you, you can register with the telephone preference service so that that should get rid of some nuisance calls. But unfortunately, when it comes to things like scammers, they are not worried about things like the telephone preference agency. I mean, we, again, we've done episodes on, on scammers yep. before, but one of the things that's important to note is that pension companies aren't allowed to cold call people. There was a ban on that previously. So that, that's something to, to be aware of. So it means that reputable companies shouldn't be phoning you up to, to speak about things like that. Another tip that I often give people is watch when you're on different websites and, and not consent to being contacted. Because what you might find is you, you may go on to just say some of the comparison sites for say a car insurance quote, and you maybe tick a box to say you can get contacted, but somewhere down in the small print, it maybe says that they can pass your details on to, to somebody else. So sometimes it's good not to, to tick those boxes to, to get contacted as well. But when it comes to, to pensions, you shouldn't be getting companies cold calling you about that. And one, one thing maybe is just things like the telephone preference service. Do you know the thing I found recently as well, Phil, is you know how you can do the same thing with your mail and you can apply to get uh, junk mail stopped delivering to, to your home? Yeah. I'm sure we did that, and yet it must actually only be for a certain period because we've been getting junk mail through the door like nobody's business this last week while. Was that did, um, review? What was it? The GDPR, the the data protection yeah. things changed like a, a year or two ago, and and to start with, a lot of firms were like, oh, we kind of just phone up, but I get calls all the time. Things like, oh, your mobile phone contract is due. What other ones do do I get? Things like. 
various insurances are due, and it just you, you wonder where they get your details from. I know, I know, agreed. Uh, I would just say before you get in touch with a question for us, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a fair few topics so far, and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm Joe Ellis. Thank you for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show, search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook, Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too. Or why not email Phil a question that he can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured we will not use your real name if that is what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And then that way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks very much, John. 